Suicide Zen Forgiveness, the pod that shares the stories of those affected by suicide. Lost a loved one? Attempted it yourself? Did you know that when you share a burden, the load is lightened? Come listen in with your host, Elaine Lindsay. Suicide Zen Forgiveness, the podcast, is for education only. Some of the subject matter could be triggering for those that are newly grieving or in a poor state of mental health. Please call your local suicide hotline or mental health office if you need immediate help. Hello, it's great to be back with you today and I'm excited to uh, be talking with another Canadian. A bit of a change today. My guest is Jonathan Friedman, and he's the president of the Journal That Talks Back. It's an accessible coaching platform that connects young professionals and post-secondary students with a certified coach so they can manage their mental health, relationships, career aspirations, personal and professional challenges, and more. After eight years as a child and youth counselor, He's seen firsthand how important it is for young adults to have access to meaningful support. And I'm absolutely thrilled to welcome him here today. Hi, Hello. Jonathan. Hello, Elaine. How's it going? It's it's good. It's a, it's a little smoky here in Ottawa. I know you're you're about five hours down the road from me, yes. but uh we're sitting uh, at the uh, edge of the province, if you will, with Quebec, and uh, there are so many wildfires at the moment. It's terrible. But, yeah, it, it's kind of it's kind of scary. It's really scary for the folks in Quebec and Nova Scotia. With Canada's uh, got a lot of areas that are burning. Uh, so thoughts go go out to everybody in those areas for sure. I I'm. I'm really, um, I'm really happy to welcome you today because we don't only cover suicide, suicidal ideation, and those left behind. We do talk about mental health in all its permutations, and I believe this this will be not just enlightening but uplifting in that. Uh, you have made a, a wonderful path for yourself. And that's part to me of the message of hope that we want to get out there. So without further ado, I'm going to stop talking and let you take it away. Yeah, thank you so much for the intro and all the kind words. I think um, to kind of get a better grasp of sort of where I'm coming from with what I do, um, I'll share like, you know, warts and all the the mental health story of, of me um so um my story is a little unique but not super unique in that i grew up in not a super orthodox jewish uh, household but a fairly traditional one uh, my grandparents on my dad's side are both holocaust survivors uh, my mom's parents are both from uh, tangier morocco and moved to venezuela and to here even though i don't speak a word of spanish which is unfortunate but yeah, it's a very, again, not Orthodox Jewish, like you might see on some of those Netflix shows, but fairly traditional. Yeah. And that comes with a lot of traditional Jewish values, especially as it relates to men. And I grew up going to Jewish school. 
and uh, you know they kind of stream you in a way to do the stereotypical stuff: become a doctor, become a lawyer, become a business person, an accountant, and you know sort of carry on the journey, the name, all of those stuff. Because especially you know as a grandson of people who survived the Holocaust, this is a really important thing. Fortunately or unfortunately, I have a very different path, and it started from one understanding that I didn't quite fit the mold there. And there was that kind of separation that started to occur. On the other side, there was my own sort of experience learning about my mental health. So my parents got divorced at a very young age. Um, my um, There's some addiction in my family and that kind of thing. And as I grew up, it's just like I started having these feelings like I would get really hot and sweaty and tunnel vision and shaky and all these things. I had no idea what was going on with me, right? Like mental health is not a thing. We weren't ever talking about it in school. Um, only physical health, right? Um, when I was 17, I went to the University of Waterloo and took um, a fairly competitive program in uh, psychology and business to maintain a certain degree uh, level um, percentage to keep my co-op, my job placement. And uh, I started to get really, now I know it as anxiety, but I was unable to participate in class. I would have to go take a lot of breaks because I was just like, I'd be in the middle of class. It'd be minus 30 degrees Celsius in, um, in Waterloo. And I'd sweat through my t-shirt. I didn't even wear a hoodie and I got shaky and I would stutter and all of that kind of stuff. I started going to see some doctors and they said, oh, you know, like, sounds like you have menopause. I'm like, well, that's unlikely, but uh, good one, doctor. Good one. And, you know, to the next doctor, same sort of response and joke. Um, and... Um, eventually, they got my thyroid checked. I had a cyst on my thyroid. They thought, oh, it could be your thyroid causing this. It's possible you have thyroid cancer. I'm like, oh, my God, this is like scary, scary stuff, right? And obviously, my symptoms were worsening because now I have that on my head. And turns out the cyst was benign. It's just a small cyst. I was very, very lucky. And I get referred to an endocrinologist or a hormone doctor. They typically deal with people who have thyroid problems, are managing diabetes, that kind of thing. Because they thought, you know, it could be that as well or something along those lines. And he said to me, he interviewed me and he asked me a bunch of questions like, when does this happen? How does it happen? What does it feel like? And he said, Jonathan, you either have this super rare disorder that occurs in like 0.001% of men, or you have an anxiety disorder. Go to therapy, give it a try, and... If I don't see you next year for our appointment, I'll know that's what it was. Lo and behold, I have an anxiety disorder. Um, it was not my thyroid. It was not menopause. And it was sort of my whole upbringing that was saying, y you're not crazy, Jonathan. You're just like, you're a man. You have to like hold your feelings in. You got to push forward, be stronger than that. You know, all the stuff. Um, so at the same time, I had switched from psych and business to go to now Toronto Metropolitan University, but formerly known as Ryerson, yes. to do a degree in child and youth counseling. And I started to work with um, 
mostly adults with a primary diagnosis of an autism spectrum disorder, okay. doing like um, teaching language and communication and behavior and that kind of thing, life skill coaching, um, as well as I actually worked on a crisis line. Um, so I was doing like distress counseling and crisis counseling and that type of thing. And I did all of that for about eight or nine years. Um, so it was kind of interesting for me because concurrently, I was sort of dealing with my own mental health um, through therapy. Uh, my stepmom owns a coaching company. So I got coached as well. I had like a lot of really great resources that I could, you know, now that I knew what was going on, I could tap into them. Because again, like for me, what was really interesting is that my whole life, it's not like these things just really, really, really don't exist. And only recently, like, I, I feel like I had to kind of break the mold in a, in a bit of a way with my family and my peer group. But it's only recently since COVID even that my peers, my family are saying, well, what's going on with me, right? We know that the incidence of things like anxiety disorders or depression are really, really high. And mm -hmm. it makes sense that a lot of people, especially when they experience isolation, would be going through things like that and not just physically so, right? Not just loneliness, but yeah. something yeah. maybe deeper. Um, when I was 25-ish, um, I had been working as a youth worker for a while. I had burnt out not because of the kids I was working with or the people, but I worked for an organization that just was not for me. It turned out to be a bad scene, totally burnt out. Um, and my stepmom, as I mentioned, runs a coaching company. So I said to her, hey, look, I need a, I need a summer job need a break, something totally not person related. I just like, I'll do anything, right? And she said, well, what do you know about marketing? I said, I don't know anything about marketing. I'm a, but a humble youth worker. And then she said, well, you know, like take a month, learn everything you can. And if you like it, you can work for me. Part-time became full-time. SEO became web design and ads and videos and social media and all this stuff. And I didn't think this would be sort of a long-term job. I mean, I love my family, but we definitely, I'm definitely the black sheep of the family. You know, every, everybody's like fairly traditional. I have facial piercings and I'm a heavy metal guy. Um, everybody's like going to do their fancy business degree and I'm, you know, doing child and youth counseling and happy just doing the job, right? Um, but I've been there now for five years. And one of the things that happened was, my stepmom came and I decided that what if there was a way to take an executive coaching type program and make it more accessible for young people? Because we're looking at things like just like not even in coaching, like therapy and counseling. This this is very important stuff that everyone needs to access. But it's really, really expensive. And, you know, the cost of these things are generally $150 a session, $200 a session. Um, and that's not feasible for everybody. So one thing that I think really hit me when I was as working as a youth worker, too, is that there are so many barriers to these resources. Mm -hmm. And I think since COVID, a lot more smaller companies are coming up now and saying, hey, like, what can we do about this? Like, I met somebody recently who's running... Um, like they started hiring students and they're able to provide therapy at $30 a session. And it's supervised by like really, really amazing people, but they're implementing these sorts of things. And for us, like we're exploring, what does it mean to have somebody 
unlimited. It's not about like, I'm not trying to like do like the shameless plug thing, but the point is, I think, is that um, come like there's this big problem where we're noticing more and more people need help. Yeah. And more and more people cannot access it because things are just getting more and more expensive. Absolutely. Um, and I'm very fortunate that I was able to, you know, get the help. Um, I like I've been working since I was 17. Like I've always had savings and like a way to be able to afford those services for myself. But the wait list for people who can't afford those things to access affordable or free services is often you know, years. A, a month, a year, two years, depending on how specialized yeah. that service is. And we know psychologists and therapists and counselors, coaches, everybody's also sort of burning out at the yeah. same time. So there's yeah. like a, a kind of this vicious cycle thing that's going on. Yeah. Um, so part of what I've been seeing through COVID is like, how do we use technology not to sort of replace these things, but to sort of make augment them? Yeah, like, how do we use it as a bridge? And when I was a youth worker, you know, like, we would use tools like Prologo to go, like, so if we're working with an individual who doesn't have words to use, what if we can communicate with an iPad? So instead of punching a wall, you say, I want popcorn. Congratulations, right? Yeah. And if we can use technology to lessen that gap and bridge that gap in a way, to me, that's really interesting. Um, so for me, this is to say, like, I'm still really, really know i have a therapist i have a coach through the journal that talks back i'm experimenting actually with a new therapist now and with my old therapist like i always have things on the go because i don't think like i i feel like everybody needs to have support all the time and even if like affordability is an issue like to look at there's lots of like even distress centers or things like that yeah. they have trained support on the other side that even if you're not struggling with what you would determine to be distress for yourself, there's still people on the other side who are there to sort of talk to you and, you know, help to be preventative. Um, sorry, that was a long winded story just to say like, this is where it is. And sort of like concurrently, I discovered not only is it interesting for me to be a part of this for myself to sort of change my own story, but also when I need to keep doing the work and two, I'd like to do that work with other people too and figure out a way to do it better. I still love that. I love that that you gave the whole story. It, it really is important. And a couple of things that you said there. So this pandemic, this pandemic has been a double-edged sword because mm -hmm. as much as it has shone a light on how many of us need help, it has overburdened the system for those that are trying to help. And we often, we see change as it's, it's like the dam breaking, you know, thing, a, a little bit will happen, a little bit will happen. And, and finally the dam just breaks. And that's what the pandemic did. It was the dam breaking and showing sure. us all that, oh my God, mental health is critical. And I don't think, I don't think we took it that way prior to the pandemic. We were starting to chip away at the stereotypical male, per se. And it's something that has been so ingrained for so many generations. 
we expect it. And even when you know better, there's still those little things in your head that say, oh, well, well, he's the man. Shouldn't he handle that? Or shouldn't he be in better mental shape? No, no, he shouldn't. It's got nothing to do with your gender, assigned or otherwise. It has to do with our emotions, our mental health, our internal feelings. They're all valid and they're all relevant. And they're all what you said in the beginning. They're all things we never learned a damn thing about in school. Mm -hmm. And it's, there, there is a, a crack in the door to education. And that crack has to get wider. We have to start right from kindergarten in exploring what it means to feel, what it means, the thoughts in our head, you know, why we shouldn't believe everything that runs through our head and why we need to talk to other people. Absolutely. And I think like there's more and more things that are coming out now. Um, I've taught, I've spoken to a lot of, you know, like even my partner's cousins who are, you know, they're in high school and the way they're talking to me is so emotionally mature. Oh, it's incredible. And I know of organizations that, uh, for example, there's Project 11 in Winnipeg, not affiliated with them at all, but they're literally doing mental health curriculum from K to 12. And that's just like the piece. And it's not always about like um, crisis and distress, but sort of teaching preventative structures so that you can manage the stuff and learn how to access help as you need it when you need it from a really, really young age. Um, Like things from like, hey, how do you feel today? Just like morning check-ins. That's something that's we it seems so simple. But it's critical. And if you're somebody running an organization or even you're just talking to your friends, don't just use like, you know, like those check-ins are very, very powerful and very, very preventative. And we know there's so many studies that are showing that prevention is the best intervention. Um, And teaching these things from a very young age is it's it's the thing you need to do. So I'm glad we're starting to move there. Well. Absolutely. And and the fact is that I I think we need to integrate our mental health, our emotional health, our physical health, and our spiritual health, because Mm -hmm. those are all different pieces of us that some of which we didn't touch for the longest time because of stereotypes, because of you know, we, we went through the period where there was a separation of, of church and state and, and schools couldn't uh, bring religion into the schools, like general public schools and what have you. And I'm not talking about religion per se. I'm talking about spirituality because we, we are greater than this single individual that we all see. There, there is a commonality in human beings that we need to acknowledge but in doing so we need to start sooner and let children know that you know there is a 
a plethora of thoughts that will run through your head. There are all kinds of things that are not just you. Because a lot of times our problems, and as as teens, as young people, we think that we're the only individual that has ever had that thought. Yeah, exactly. And it can be really lonely. And that loneliness from there is sort of a big contributing factor to things like suicidal ideation. And again, I'm not saying any of this is a doctor or like a world-renowned expert. It's just like this is a topic I'm interested in and I've been working in the field for almost 13 years now, which is wild, but um, that's the thing. And, you know, there's so many cliches now, like you're not alone, all of that. But truthfully, and I think purpose of a big purpose of even a podcast like this is, okay, you know, there's this Jewish guy, he's got facial piercings, he really struggles with anxiety. I relate to that. Um, yes. That's, that's a cool thing, right? Yes. Um, like I'm, I'm, I've been in bands my whole life. And um, I was in this metal band before COVID. And I was one of those screaming guys. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, and for me, one, it was really cool, because that was a way to really overcome some social anxiety. I mean, yeah. you yeah. Like, it's wild that people don't care how silly you look. They just think, oh, wow, there's this ferocious person, you know, doing their art. Um, So that was cool for me. But we wrote some stuff around, you know, anxiety. And when I said, oh, yeah, this one's about this. And then after our show, like, people would come up to me and talk to me and say, hey, that's that's important. Like, how do you know that? Well, from here and from my work and from this. And, you know, it helps to talk and then people connect on that. Um, and it's really, I think that's a piece of it is like that sharing, but also how do you make the information more accessible? Because even though like I'm almost 30 and I didn't grow up with this information. So how, and a lot of my peers haven't either. So do you talk about anxiety in a super intellectual way? Maybe, maybe we have an ability to understand it at that level, but we have to be able to explain it in simpler terms. So for example, like when I feel anxious, I have this voice inside of me and here's what it's saying. How do I know it's that voice versus this voice? How do I know when lizard brain is trying to take over, right? Or for example, when somebody is getting really irritable in a relationship or something like that and they start lashing out, is it really that that's them in that moment? Or are there other precipitating factors, things that they have going on in their head that's creating it? Now, not saying that it's always the case. Sometimes people are just jerks, but also sometimes, and a lot of the time, people have something else that's going on. You know, work bleeds into home, home bleeds into work, and it's a vicious cycle in of itself. So being able to call it out and being able to have, you know, some select active listening skills and just talk to them um, is really, really powerful. So um, one of the things that we try to do, and it's a lot of fun. Um, uh, are you familiar with Reddit? Yeah. yeah. Um, so there's um, this thread and pardon my, pardon my, uh, my language, but it's called, am I the asshole? And basically, are you familiar with it? Yeah. <laughs> And uh, I have a friend, he's one of our coaches as well. And he's, uh, he's a doctor. And we analyze these posts and not just say that this person's the asshole or not. But we analyze like, 
the relationships and what could be going on and what questions we would want to ask and like to understand it from a deeper way. And yeah, on that podcast, it's called Am I the Bleep? We are a little goofy about it and it is a little fun, but the purpose of it is to make those conversations fun. If I were just to come on a show and be like, relationships are hard. It's like, you know, that yeah. <laughs> it's one thing. Yeah. But to say, all right, here's a story. Here's what went on. Here's what they did to each other. Let's take a deeper look. What happened? Like, how did they act? If we were in that position, how could we act? Or how could we respond differently yeah. to have a more productive and healthy relationship? So this is like a, a trend I'm seeing. And it's cool yeah. to be like, to think about how to share that information differently. Well, absolutely. And so, something you said there is really important. Okay. You mentioned story. Mm -hmm. Okay. Absolutely. And this podcast, yeah, it's about sharing stories. But the fact is, as humans, okay, every single thing that happens, even an intake of breath, your brain and often the lizard brain will start a story that goes with that, that makes mm -hmm. it so much bigger than it was. Often, for no reason other than that's the job. Okay, the lizard brain is there basically to keep you safe, which to the lizard brain means status quo. Whatever that is, it could be you know, for, for someone who is an adrenaline junkie, it could be running in and out of the street, kind of playing mm -hmm. chicken with yourself. It, it can be that bad. But if that's your status quo, if that's your safety zone, people would say, why would you do that? Why would you do that? Like someone that goes back to a domestic abuse situation or somebody who works for an abusive boss, but continues to go back because that is their comfort zone. That is what they know. And without upsetting the apple cart, if you will, the lizard brain says, no, no, this is where you're comfortable. Let's just stay here. Yeah, because the fear is oftentimes, not every time, it's like being uncertain of like what happens after. What if, if you know, this is what it's like when they like me and I'm working there and I'm being paid or when, you know, we go to bed at, together at the end of the day, what does it look like if I leave? If I leave, yeah. And it's really, um, it's, it's, it's another trope in another cliche, like this courageous conversation. But yeah, that's really what it is, right? It's about being able to say, and often this is not something you do on your own. This is something you do access therapy or yeah. counseling for. Yeah. And it's to have the understanding of, okay, this situation is unhealthy and it's causing me a lot of stress. It's causing a lot of panic and it does not feel good. And this is what not feeling good feels like. Yeah. And being able to script out and understand, okay, this is what I need to say. But also here's what's going to happen when I say it. And is that conversation that comes from the other individual, yeah. is that my fault or is it them lashing out and them not having the tools to have healthy conversations themselves. Yeah. Right. And you're allowed, and this is important is that you're allowed to make a choice that's healthy for you, regardless of how it is for that's somebody right. else. Right. And in situations of abuse, neglect, um, at home, in the office with friends, 
it's really important to set those boundaries. Um, but again, it's not about doing it alone and like trying to figure that out on yeah. your own. That's really no. hard. And you often don't see both sides of what's going on. Yeah. It's important to go through that with your, with your person. Yeah. And, and it can be so, there's so many old adages and things that, that, well, they're there for a reason. They're, they're kind of trite, but you know, you can't, what is it? You can't read the label from inside the jar. Mm-hmm. That's why you need someone else to be objective about whatever is going on and give you a little bit of input that maybe it's not quite how you see it. Because no situation is truly black or white. It's never just your perspective. When there's more than one person in the situation, there are two perspectives that are in all likelihood very, very different. You know, yeah, whether, maybe even more. Yeah. And yeah. and whether the, the interaction is good, bad, or indifferent, there will always be those different viewpoints. Yes, uh, totally. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I think as we as we share that with children younger and younger, when you know a bit more you are more likely to be able to take a pause before going off on someone because you know that, hang on a minute, there are other possibilities here. This, this is just my perspective. And it, it does give, it gives you a little room to maybe take a breath and reach out to somebody. You know, for a child to to go to a teacher and say, you know, we're having this problem and this is what happened and get the other person's input as well. The teacher can then look at the overall scenario and they can discuss, you know, what actually happened from an outsider perspective. Yeah. And with kids and even with adults, too, it's like, what's the relationship you want with that person? And often with kids, you see like somebody has energy and feelings and they don't know how to deal with it. So they yell or they'll hit or things like that. But when you hit or you yell at somebody, you're moving further away from being their friend or their partner or whatever the case might be. Um, So teaching that from a young age, it's in a way with younger with children, it's kind of like a natural consequences type of piece. But as an adult, too. I think especially like my generation and above is because we grew up without having the knowledge of how do we deal with this stuff? um, We still fall into those habits pretty hard. Like I hear all the time about like people in relationships in their twenties and they're just like having it out at each other all the time. Does that bring you closer to the relationship that you want? Mm -hmm. Was there a better way to express it? What does taking a break look like? How did you feel when you yelled? Were you anxious? Were you scared? What was that like, right? And there's a very different conversation that happens, but we're human and we don't have the skills otherwise and we end up yelling, lashing out. Um, And it's important to instead, you know, again, learn and take the actions that bring you closer to the things you want instead of pushing yourself away. So it's it's interesting because, and I've had this conversation with other people before that, Adults are just complicated children, 
Like yeah. we've learned how to build so many weird behavioral and psychological patterns around the thing that we don't want. Um, and it's just harder to deal with because it's so much more enmeshed in our thinking and our, our way of life. But the problems are often the same. And it's important that, you know, we might have to get to it more intellectually, but it's the same problem. So it's really important to talk about things that way. Absolutely. And and I know as, you know, millennials and, and Gen Z, we want to empower them and not leave them in the situations. Like I'm a boomer. I'm 67 years old. Okay. And my generation, there were very specific roles that a male and a female were to have. That was just how it was. And and being able to kind of erase those roles and learn as people, you know, come up with, with different ideas and different thoughts on how they want to be in the world. If we just get rid of all those assumptions and just let people be human. And, you know, there are, there are days where I'm probably way more masculine than a lot of men because I believe if I want something, I'm going to go get it. If, if somebody hurts somebody and, and I'm there, I'm going to fix that. It's, mm-hmm. it's how my brain is wired. It has nothing to do with my gender, assigned or otherwise. Absolutely. It, you know, it's more about my values, my mores. And, and how I've adjusted them as I've navigated life, often not well. <laughs> Feels, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah we, but, we, we, all have a, we all have a journey. Oh, yeah. oh yeah, yeah. And, and as I, I'm fond of saying, I can be a really slow learner. <laughs> but it takes, I, I don't think it's ever too late to learn something new and I don't think it's ever too late to open up and be more accepting and kind of take in other perspectives because it's it truly is fascinating when you really listen to someone else and when it's someone of a different generation it just it absolutely fascinates me how much thought each person can have. Doesn't matter what age they are. If you give people the platform to offer up what they're thinking, mm-hmm. it's amazing what you'll find. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. Thank you. Thank you. So in terms of, um, I, I know this is, it's not about plugging and, and it's not, you didn't bring it up, but I did. I, I like the concept of your journal, the journal mm-hmm. that talks back. So why not give us a little bit of insight into what it is and how it can be useful? Yeah, so essentially what we wanted to do is create a way where we can have sort of the coaching version of text therapy And it's an experiment. And uh, we've been around now for a year and a half. Um, And basically the way it works 
is um, everybody coming in um, has an intake call with me. Um, just given my background, we make sure that one coaching is the right fit because there's different tools in the toolbox. And sometimes coaching is a yes and not just that's the solution to the problem. And mental health is a spectrum. And just wherever you're at, we want to make sure you're getting the right help, support for that time. Um, in the case that coaching is the right support, um, we match you up with your own coach. We have a team of nine coaches. Um, they're all uh, trained directly by my partner, Kim, who's been coaching for 20 years. We have our own certification uh, program. Um, and it's basically focused on journaling in its totality. So as a client, you track your mood, your sleep, your stress, and you journal. And your coach reads and responds to each and every journal within 24 hours. So there's no appointments. There's no phone calls. You can access it as much or as little as you'd like. Um, we have clients who journal, you know, six, seven times a day. We have clients who journal when, you know, the stuff hits the fan yeah. once every couple of weeks. And they just like knowing somebody's there for them. Um, and it's it's been really, really cool um, to see it. I, I use it myself. Uh, for me, it's a yes and. I use it. And then I also have a therapist. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we also have um, on our website, um, the journal that talks back.com slash mental health directory. We're building a, an accessible directory for mental health services. Because if you look at government websites or different directories, they're often really old school, really hard to navigate. Um, so far, we've gone through 800 and something resources, and we have it set up in a way that's kind of like a car dealership. So yeah. you would choose a car by mileage or by color or by what year it was made. So here you can choose, is it coaching, counseling, therapy, self-help, harm reduction? Is it um, BIPOC friendly? Is it an LGBTQ plus resource? So um, we've gotten to where we're at now, but uh, we're actually in, in the works um, of uh, partnering with a, a student who um, is doing their PhD in uh, BC. Um, they, and we're going to be sort of like co-creating the the, res the resource to be a bit uh, better as well. So like for us, we really much, we really see that, you know, coaching can be really valuable thing for a lot of people, but it's not, it's not enough. It's not, it, it's not just it by itself. Um, you know, everybody needs different things at different times. So um, that's where we're at so far. So if that's something that's interesting to you, um, or if you like that podcast idea from before too, uh, that's all at the journal that talks back.com. But yeah, we're never, I always say like first coach and counselor, then salesperson. Like, would I like to be successful? Yeah. But if we bring somebody in who needs to be somewhere else, it's not ethical. So we always want to make sure we're doing that um, first. So if, and also um, if you just need help, accessing resources and it seems scary um there's a lot of them it's just it's hard to find them so you feel free to book a call as well and just say like i need help to find this thing like let's do it yeah oh that that is excellent that that's exactly what i wanted to hear uh all of that information and uh jonathan's links etc will be on the page with this podcast and I just firmly believe the more tools we have, the better off we are because not everything is a fit for everybody. And, and 
you've you've really proven my point here in in what we've talked about today. What um what is your let's see one one tip or tool or or tweak that you use most often in your life that you think would be valuable for the audience? Like a way I think about something or sure. something. Um, it's just kind of this idea of differentiating lizard brain from regular brain. And, and we say lizard brain. It's, it's, we have this piece of our brain called the amygdala that we've had for a long time. And it's basically that teenager kind of brain that just like acts up and you're like, why did I do that after? But that's kind of what, where a lot of anxiety sort of sits in a simple way. And I I just call it lizard brain because that's funnier to me. But um, essentially, I notice, and this is, again, through a lot of therapy and work, but I notice that there's sometimes I'm thinking a certain way, but also I notice the physical feelings that are associated with that thought. So, for example, if I'm in a crowd of people, like I'm going to speak somewhere and I feel like I hate everything and I don't want to do it. And like, what are people are going to think I'm stupid and all of that? My shoulders are usually up here. I feel like tense. I feel like hot. Like for me, I, as I mentioned, like I'm always feeling very warm. I feel shaky. Like my girlfriend will say something and I'll be like, no, I don't want to do that. Like I notice these things around it. And at that point, the question has to happen. Is that, is that me? Or like, do I need a Snickers? Is there something else inside of me that's causing that trouble, right? And in all of those cases, it's something else, right? So it's important. And I do this through journaling with my coach. I do this through therapy where we take a look at like, am I really scared of speaking? Like I go and scream in front of people. Like this is a lot more easy to take in if you think about it. But it's my first time speaking. Like I went to Orlando recently. It was my first time speaking. I thought I was going to puke on stage. Yeah. I didn't. I, I don't remember what I said, but it actually turned out to be really good. I knew my material. I knew I brought, I, we did a live, am I the asshole story? People thought it was engaging. Um, and all of those fears, like were not productive in that way, but Historically, I think like five, 10 years ago, I would have like, oh, this is going to be terrible. And I might have walked away. But now I did it. I am starting to develop that muscle a bit. Now I'm going to do it again. Am I still anxious about it? Absolutely, I am. But now I know, okay, like I'm going to do it. I'm going to feel a little yucky before. And then after, I'll feel awesome. And then the time after that, it'll be easier too. So it's like a, a stretching of sorts, right? Um, so again, this is not to say that. Like, if you notice something that's wrong, like, do it by yourself. That's not at all it. Like, go get help. Like, ask if you need help to find help, too. Like, we're all here for you. But uh, for me, it's like every day I'm like, uh, what's the word? Um, there's a dialogue, uh, a negotiation between lizard yes. brain and regular brain to uh, yes. make some good decisions. Yeah. Absolutely. And and I think that that's such a good point, additional point, because uh, our lizard brain is there for a reason. Okay. Mm-hmm. It, it's what keeps us breathing. It's what, what keeps those, those lower level 
uh, bits and pieces on autopilot and and works for us. So mm -hmm. in trying to keep us safe, part of the problem is it hasn't evolved since we started. So it's it's still doing its little job, but it still assumes we have saber-toothed tigers to look out for. So it can be a little out of proportion. But the fact is, it is something we need. And getting to a point where, as you said, differentiating from the regular mind and the lizard mind, but acknowledging that they're both required mm -hmm. can also have a little bit of a calming effect because there's no malice there. And understanding that, you know, it, its intentions are good. You just have to pay a little more mind to what you want the regular brain to do so that you're not kowtowing to the lizard brain. Right. Like, so essentially, lizard brain is saying, yo, Jonathan, you're really scared of this thing and I'm going to make you feel it. But then you have to think about okay, what am I really scared of? What's going on here? Am I scared of all the things? Probably not. I'm probably scared of people in the audience judging me. That's me. But what are they really thinking? Are they at the HR conference thinking, oh, that Jonathan guy is speaking? I hate him. He's the worst guy I've ever seen. His face is so reflective with all that metal. What's going on? I guarantee that's not what happened, right? But no. at the time, it was what was going on. So I, you know, thought about it again with help. And it's like, they probably don't care too much. They probably are like, wow, it's really refreshing to see a young guy talking about this stuff instead of another person in a suit who's the executive of something saying something that they're not actually doing. So, yeah. And, and something else that, that we lose sight of, and that is this most people are more concerned with themselves and how they're presenting in the world than they are taking the time to pick us apart. For sure. And if someone takes the trouble to pick you apart, I now tend to stop and think, okay, what What's the burr under their saddle? What what happened earlier that they're in so much pain they're lashing out? Yeah. And and it doesn't work all the time. <laughs> there are times where somebody somebody snaps and I'll snap right back. And yeah. then after think, oh my God, why did I do that? But the so fact we're human. Is, yeah. We are works in progress, and as long as we work on being the best us that we can be, then we'll do fairly well in the world. And I wish each and every one of us the opportunity to think and take that pause so that you can make the differentiation between lizard brain and regular brain and between someone's being mean, is it about them? Most probably it is. Yeah, it's, for sure. Yeah. 
On that note, uh, I, this has been a very, very uh, interesting discussion. Thank you so much, Jonathan. I really appreciate you coming on. Uh, and uh, who knows? We, we may have to have you back and continue to this, the discussion yeah, anytime. further. Because there's a, there's a lot more we can we can cover here. Yeah, for sure. My guest, Jonathan Friedman, you'll find all his information on the page on the podcast site. I'm Elaine Lindsay. This is Suicide Zen Forgiveness. I thank you so much for spending time with us today. And remember, make the very best of your today, every day. And we'll see you next time. Bye, Jonathan. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe on your favorite service. Suicide Zen Forgiveness was brought to you by Truel Social Media, the digital integration specialists. Let them get you on page one in the search results. And also by Canada's keynote humorist, Judy Kroon, the motivational speaker, comedian, author, and stand-up coach at Second City. On the stage, Judy draws from her wealth of performance experience, wit, and insight to entertain, inform, and inspire in her dynamic keynotes and half-day workshops.